you are listening to the Entrust Podcast. This weekly course seeks to provide theological training within a ministry setting so you can take what you learn and share it with others. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. For now, here is this week's episode. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. I know we've been in Exodus a little bit, but the reality is is that... um, I didn't get to preach Exodus chapter three, verse uh, chapter three and chapter four, and not that the people who did it did a bad job; they did a great job. But there's some stuff that I want us to go through when it comes to the role that Moses had as it results in leadership. And we are looking at uh, going through this together, but today talking about leading through weakness, which is not a typical place that we like to normally go to and to think about. Oh, this is something that we aspire to. Who who aspires to be weak? But yet, I think if we also were honest tonight, are there weaknesses in your life that you feel like sometimes you try to overcompensate and you're still just weak, right? There's just struggles there. And so what do we do with these weaknesses? What, how um, can we navigate them? Uh, as you saw in our services today, we showed the um, video clips from uh, the student camp that our teenagers went to. Um, and uh, imagine about 1,500 students on, uh, outside of Asheville um, and it rains for three-fifths of the week, okay? About 80% of the activity needs to be outside. You got a lot You got a lot of middle school smells as it is, right? Okay, but now you got wet middle schoolers running around and trying to keep them active. I walked up on the top of the mountain one day, and there's hundreds of teenagers up on the rec field, and I, on the top of the mountain, open air, I can smell them, okay? It's just like it's a, a strong smell coming. I'm like, mm, this, is, this is something. And uh, so we were having to move a lot of things throughout uh, the week and change this and change that. So what should have been outside got moved to the auditorium. And when you move the auditorium, it's supposed to be a worship center at night. You got to move those chairs, right? And I think I've told this church before, you really can't be ready for ministry until you have stacked chairs for some type of service, okay? Or laid the chairs out in rows. You really aren't ready to serve the Lord until you have a good stair checking, uh, stair uh, chair stacking ability, right? And um, so it's funny just because Gloria, she wanted to tag along. The boys obviously were at camp and uh, I was preaching at it. And so one of the days we had been in there really late doing recreation in the sanctuary and then we got to put all the chairs back. So there's these chairs, I don't know, about, you know, eight tall and people start just grabbing them and start, you know, pulling them out and we start getting them out of that rows. And all of a sudden I look over at Gloria and she's going... And I was like, what just happened? Are you okay? We just did recreation, and you got a bunch of big kids around. Are you okay? And she's like, something popped in my wrist when I pulled those chairs. And I said, what chairs were you pulling? She's like, that stack. I'm like, that's about twice her size. I'm like, don't do that, okay? right?" And and, uh, she said something popped, and she's trying not to cry because everybody's around her. And she's like, be tough. I'm just like, it's okay. Why don't you just sit here? Dad will get these chairs. We'll be okay, you know, whatever. She's like, I really want to help. And I said, hey. There's plenty of ways for you to help right now, okay? And what was so unique about this, and, and I think y'all might can understand what this looked like. When you see an 11-year-old be willing to move a stack of chairs that 15-year-olds or 30-year-olds don't bat an eye at because they're too busy doing something else, and you see her got an ice pack on her wrist. Oh, how'd you get that? I was trying to pull those chairs, and I want to go, what were you doing? <laughs> okay, right, okay? That even in a moment like that, if you will, my daughter's weakness God used to actually cause some people to step it up. You follow? And, and so sometimes we, I think we do ourselves a disservice and we only think that God can use us in our stronger moments. But the problem is that I don't have a lot of those. You know? 
I have a lot of moments where God is working through weakness, if, if you will. And so how do we navigate that? We can easily miss leadership opportunities due to perceived inabilities. So there's opportunities for us to lead and to help and to serve and to minister and to do things for other people. But because we have a perceived inability of what we think we can't do, we kind of stop. And we must maintain that conviction that God will give us what we need to accomplish what he has called us to do. There is no preacherism that has been so quoted. I don't even know who to give credit to. But I would just say, I guarantee it's not mine. But it goes like this. God doesn't call the equipped. What is it? He equips the called. Right? He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And when you look through the pages of Scripture, and we're going to look at one indication tonight that we see, okay, through Moses, we, we see somebody that God didn't call necessarily equipped, but he equipped the called. The one that he called out to, he changed. And so we got to have that conviction that even in our weakness, God can use us. And sometimes God not only uses us despite our weakness, God uses our weaknesses so that he can be glorified, so that he can be seen, um, so that he can in many ways be magnified in our life. And the question kind of just to think about for a moment, have you ever had an opportunity you were convinced you could not do? Anybody here tonight feel like there's an opportunity you just feel like, nope, not there? I have. I, on a regular basis, right? Here is some opportunity, and I feel like I can't do that. Uh, I don't have the talents. I don't have the skills. I don't have the experience. Um, I know this. Like, I know, okay, I'm what year? I'm 41. I'm about to be 42 this summer. Y'all pray for me. I'm like, 42. Um, there are still some days I still feel like a kid. I still feel like there's people thinking, you know, you just don't need to get your act together or whatnot. And some days I feel like I need to grow up and I need more experience and I don't have this. And there are many times where I feel I'm convinced of what I cannot do. And it, here's the second question I want you to consider for a second. If you've ever felt like you couldn't lead, you couldn't serve, you couldn't give, you couldn't minister, what caused you to believe that? Because deep down, there's something either that you have chosen to believe or someone has said or something you've assumed that has caused you not to be able to do what you think you can do. Um, I, I don't know what your favorite um, sport is to watch, uh, but with the NBA just kind of being done, I love watching the NBA, I love watching the playoffs, I love watching the finals. And what I think is unique about the NBA that you can't see, like the NFL, or not necessarily as much as, as a, uh, Major League Baseball, in an NBA with five players on a court, you can tell when they have become mentally defeated, right? They don't have a mask on. There's enough people, but you can just tell you're not in this. You don't think you can win. And you can just see it all over their face. There's a moment. And you can watch them come out and like, yep, they are going to. There's one day if you're a Boston Celtics fan, I'll pray for you too. Like there are days when the Boston Celtics will come out and just dominate. And some days they come out of the locker room and I'm going, y'all going to get whooped today, okay? You can just tell. There's something that they believe. We can't pull this thing off. And it it's all over them. And when it comes to spiritual issues, this is what I'm so concerned about. So many of us come out the gate going, there's no way I'll accomplish this. No way I'll be successful. And we start believing that, and we come up with all these excuses. Here's, here's some of the problem of what I mean by that. Uh, some of us have a problem with what our raising was. Okay, Those people that grew us up, our formative years did more to impact our outlook than we can imagine. Is that fair? Okay. Any of y'all ever been at a place in your life you were trying to do something and in the back of your mind, 
you hear your mama saying something. You hear your daddy saying something, right? Um, I have uh, a friend who said, uh, well, I won't go into what his parents told him, but all of his life was fighting against that mentality of what his parents told him he would never accomplish, never mount anything in this world, and he believed it. You hear it enough, right? You start to believe that thing. And so some of us grew up, our formative years did more to impact our outlook than we can imagine. We've heard what we can't do. We've heard where we failed. We heard we always forget this. Some of us have heard formative years, right? Your brother knows how to do this. What's wrong with you? Your sister had messed up like this. And what does it do? It just You just start believing all of that drama and you start telling yourself you can't do these things. Another problem we've got is comparison. We often judge our abilities by looking at our daily failures compared to others' occasional successes. So um, I, I say this very carefully for us to make sure that we hear here, um, but the daily failures aspect, um, I would imagine that most of us, when you think about your life, you um, there are a few of us in this room that would think, yeah, I nail it every single day. <laughs> okay, I'm just awesome, I get everything right. I think most of us are thinking, messed up here, struggled there, missed this opportunity there. It's just over and over and over again. And we live in a culture of comparison, right? So for example, um, I had someone recently tell me, hey, uh, I saw you uh, post a picture of your kids on Facebook. And I just want to know, uh, I'm kind of happy for you, but it also kind of really frustrates me. I said, what do you mean? Well, my kids aren't walking with Jesus and it seems like yours are. Now, now what, what, what that's causing is, and, and is that my mentality? No, I'm not trying to think like, look how awesome my kids are. Yours are awful. No, I'm just sitting here like, hey, I'm, I'm thankful for what God is doing through my kids and I want to celebrate what God's doing and whatnot. But here's a person doing what? Can social media be a comparison vacuum and nightmare, right? Because typically, uh, most people post on social media all the good stuff that's happening in their life, right? And you're just looking at all the bad stuff going on, right, Okay. Uh, somebody's taking a selfie, they take 50 pictures, they only post one, and there's 49 they discard because got a wrinkle there, got the light bad there, you know, I look pudgy in there. All these things we don't see, and yet when we see what somebody else does, we don't ever see any of the bad, only the good. So we live in this culture of comparison where we start judging ourselves, looking at highlight reels of certain people, and looking at nothing but our bloopers, if you will, right? All the things that we mess up at. Then there's the problem of the awareness uh, we can lose effectiveness by believing too much about what we can or can't do. We've got to be uh, aware of uh, what we need to consider what God might do through us or may what he may not want to do through us. Before I came to Rocky Creek in 2017, I promise you every book that I read, every article that somebody sent me, every podcast, there was this ongoing line I heard that really frustrated me. And I guess it was the Lord preparing me, but it said, if you're going into a ministry position, you're going to a new spot, don't, well, let me see if I can get it right, uh, don't overthink what you can do in one year and don't underthink what you can do in 10 years, okay? Basically saying, don't get your hopes up that in one year, whoo, all this is going to happen, but also don't belittle what God could do in 10, Right? Now, some of us would struggle one way, one side or the other a little bit too much. You would think, man, God's going to do this, you know, I can have this in one year. And some of us would be like, I don't know if it's ever going to take place. Just be very careful that you don't consider too far in any of these ways of what could do or what you can't do. Uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle says it this way, we may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. 
And so, so with that, how many of you have ever seen somebody that you emulate and you think about what God is doing and then all of a sudden they get real and you go, you struggle too? Man, I didn't see that coming, right? And I think that's what's so helpful about this. So let's look at Exodus chapter 3 and this example of Moses. And this is when uh, Moses comes upon the burning bush and the bush is talking to him and the bush has given him a lot of different uh, uh, expectations of what he wants him to do. And in Exodus chapter 3, uh, let me go down to um, verse number 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I've observed the misery of my people in Egypt. He saw them hurting, right? He saw about their sufferings. And so what happens is, he says, I'm going to send you, right, to Pharaoh so that my people would be let go. And look what Moses says in verse number 11. Moses asked God, first three words are important, folks. He says what? Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? This first excuse of weakness come down to an issue of insecurity in Moses' life. Who am I that I should go? Um, have you ever been there before in your life? I have. Who am I? Goodness gracious, I, I mean, somebody else should be in this position here. Moses, who had been rescued uh, as a baby that could have died in the Nile River, grew up in Pharaoh's household, killed a man, ran from Pharaoh, has now served the last 40 years in exile as a shepherd in a foreign land. And God says, I want to use you. And he says, who am I? I, I, I don't have anything to give. I'm literally a shepherd. I, I'm, I'm, I didn't marry an Israelite woman. I, I'm on the run. from. I, I never really connected with my people. Now the Egyptians want me dead. Like, who am I? Moses doubted his ability to be successful. This is where the issue of insecurity comes. I can't be successful. I've got too many issues or there are things that I'm lacking in life. I can't get done what God would have me to do. Who am I that I should go? Who am I? I have oftentimes in my life used that excuse. God, who am I? I, I don't have as much experience as so-and-so. I, I, I don't have... The, the skills as this person over here. Um, there are many times where I go, Lord, who am I? Like, I, I can't pull this thing off. And it's oftentimes where God uses that a lot of times in that, that strength. Um, I've, I've told this church before, but I just want to say it again. If you've never heard me say it or just for uh, repetition's sake that you need to hear this, um, there are many times when I get done preaching a sermon that I think, now that could have been a preaching class. Somebody needs to be motivated and lives be forever changed after that. And I'm expecting the altars to be full and people's lives to be transformed and people getting on planes to go to foreign mission fields, you name it. We've got to go ahead and get the water baptistry filled up because people need to be dunked. And I get done and it is nothing but the sound of crickets. Nothing. I'm going, what? Like how can you help people not be moved from that? And last week at 
at camp with our students. Um, I was preaching my heart out, but there was so much spiritual warfare going around. Man, it was like the devil himself trying to slow down everything moving at camp. And I'd get done preaching, and I'm like, is anybody registering with this? Is anybody even hearing my voice? Like, is anybody being impacted in there? And, and we gave an invitation the last night. And um, uh, even at some point, one of my sons texted me and says, Dad, we're going to be late. I think everybody's getting saved up in here. It was kind of his statement to me. I said, what do you mean, right? That, that week, we had 124 teenagers gave their life to Jesus. It's unbelievable. And it was just literally like, Where? Where did y'all come from? Because it was all this disconnect, all this frustration, feeling like there's something off. And I say that because so oftentimes there is so many ways that we kind of feel like that either like God wants to use you and you want to say like, who am I God to, to use me? Like, And you feel low and you feel weak and you feel unable and God's like, okay, now I can use you. Look, look what God says to, to Moses' line here. Moses says, who am I that I should go? And this is what God did not say to Moses. Now, Moses, you are important. You are good. You, you do a great job, Moses. You're, you're a wonderful fellow, and everybody's going to want to listen to you. That's not what God said. Look what he says. I will be with you. And I imagine Moses going, but I, I'm kind of wanting a little encouragement about who I am. And, and God said, I just gave you the encouragement. I will be with you. That is the encouragement. Because in reality, there should be a level of insecurity. I don't have what it takes to do what God is calling me to do. But if God is with me, that changes everything. God promised to provide Moses with one thing that he needed above all else. That was his presence. Presence of God is the greatest promise of God. It is a wonderful gift that God gives us that even through our weakness when we go, Who am I, God? God says, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Uh, you don't have to be fearful or be dismayed. I will be with you no matter what happens that his presence will go with you. And that's where I, I want to show you that sometimes, even in weakness, where I feel like things aren't connecting and God just shows up, right? You ever been there? Where God just shows up and does something. You go, it wasn't about me. And that, that's exactly when God uses so oftentimes when we don't see it coming. So as if that was not enough, then Moses go, okay, let me give you another excuse. Verse 13. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? So get this. First excuse is, who am I? Second excuse is, who are you? Right? Like, God, they're gonna have, they got thousands of gods in this land. I got to know who I'm representing here. This was a question or an excuse revolving around identity. The first one was about insecurity. This one's identity. What is your name that I may tell the people who sent me? Moses, before he goes out in the name and the power of God, he's got to know who that name is. He's got to know God. And there are plenty of people that I believe that are doing works for God before they actually know God. 1 Samuel chapter 3 Samuel's calling to the ministry, and there's a frightening thing that is said there. It says that Samuel was ministering before the Lord in the first opening verses of 1 Samuel chapter 3. And a few verses later, you know what the scary thing it says about Samuel? And Samuel did not yet know the Lord. 
So you mean to tell me that you could be ministering for the Lord before you actually know Him? I'm telling you it happens all the time. People serve God without knowing God. And so Moses is saying, I, I'm not even sure who you are. Like, I've got to get that thing covered, like your identity. What's your name, God? Who are you? What are you like? Because if I'm going to represent you, I need to know you. Moses was unsure of who God was and what God could do. And so therefore, Moses was doing everything that he could do to say, I've got to get to know you. I've got to know who you are. I've got to know your name. I've got to know your attributes. I've got to know what you're like. I've got to know what you're not like. I've got to know what you're able to do. I need to know what your plans are, God. Like, I've got to know you, and, and I want to know more about you. And so this is what's so interesting so I want to know what your name is, right? In verse 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I'm named to be remembered in every generation. Now, when you see that I am who I am, you see how that's in all capital letters in your Bible? Same way if you see the name Lord in the Old Testament. If you ever see Lord capitalized, it is the same name of what's being taken place there. It is the name of what most people would say was translated as the name Yahweh. Some of you may have heard it Jehovah, um, but I, just to correct something, it, it's more likely that the name that was spoken out of the bush that day was Yahweh. And here's how I can kind of prove that to you. Um, let me actually do it this way if I can. Right. I'm going to write a word. And then I'm going to count to three, and you're going to read it to me. All right, you see that word? One, two, three. Why didn't y'all say hallelujah? Okay, yeah. Maybe different language, right? I mean, when do y'all ever say J, say yeah, right? Well, just so you know, there is no consonant in the Hebrew language that makes a J sound. There is no Jah. There is no Jehovah. There is no Jack. There is no Jill. There is no Jiffy. There is no J in the Hebrew alphabet. Okay? There is Aleph, Beth, Gimel. You go on, but there is no J, but there is a Yah. There is a Yah. And so when you say hallelujah, you know what you're saying? That Yah is that Yahweh. You are taking saying, so the word hallelujah means praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. That's what this means. And so I'm saying that this name comes across as Yahweh. Some of you are like, my whole childhood just changed right there. Okay, but this is, this is, we're saying hallelujah, praise Yahweh. And this name means, follow this, not I was, not I will be, what? I am. Not, ready for this? Not like in Egypt. Are you the God of the sun? Are you the God of the moon? Are you the God of the Nile River? I am. Which one? I am who I am. Okay, right? I define myself. Yahweh is the self-existent one. He needs not even the creation to validate who he is. He defines himself. He is Yahweh. So, so think about it this way. God doesn't even need us to be God. He's God all by himself, right? He's Yahweh. He's the great I am. He's not who was. He's not like, I am the God who was or I'm the God who will be. I am who I am. I exist. And this is to who I'll be remembered. So, so what is happening here? God taught Moses that he is the great I am. This is who he is. 
So when you're weak, when you feel powerless, when you feel I don't know what to do and I don't feel like I have the power, good. No, I am. Right? Here's a pastor, Louis Giglio, that had a book uh, and a sermon that kind of goes like this. He goes, I, I know who I am and I know who I am not. Right? Okay? Like there is, I, I know I am, but I also know what I am not. And, and, and here's the reality of all of my inconsistencies, all my frailties, all my issues, my weakness comes to when I come to God, I will never find a deficiency with him. With me? Huh. You can find as many as you want to as the day is long. But with him, you won't find one. When we come to look for weakness, we will not find one in the character of God. So Moses starts with these excuses. First off, he's insecure. Second, it's an identity issue. And then let's look at chapter 4 for a second. Verse number 1. Here's another weak spot where Moses is going, okay, let me give another excuse here. Chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, but what if they don't believe me? And what if they want to obey me but say, Lord didn't appear to you? This one is an example or an excuse of inhibition. He's asking, how will the people believe that you have sent me? What is Moses looking for? You're going to have to give me some proof here. I, I can't go out there on my own. Like I need something to show, right? I, I am... Unsure if people would have it within themselves to even want to follow me. And so there's inhibition is hindering him from going forth. God, what do I have? They're not going to believe me. I need proof. I need something to promise me. You need to give me something to promise me that they will listen. They're not. They're going to tell me, Lord didn't appear to you. Prove it, right? Prove it. Prove me that, that Yahweh appeared to you. So this is what it says in verse 2. The Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? Staff, he replied. Well, throw it on the ground, he said. So Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake, and he ran from it. Here's brave Moses, right? Okay, right. He gone. He's running. Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he said, so they will believe the Lord, the God of the ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. Then he, he does this next thing where he puts his hand inside the cloak and it, it comes out and it looks like leprous. And then he go, puts it back in and it's healed. And what's God saying? Hey, I'm going to give you a couple evidences. When you get in front of the people, show them this, right? Show them this and they're going to realize this is not just somebody saying, I've heard from God, right? It's like, no, this is somebody who's met with God. So Moses didn't think that others would follow him. So he's needs some type of proof so that when he walks out of there, he knows without a shadow of a doubt the people are going to believe him. He was unsure. Would people follow him? There's probably a lot of excuses and reasons why some of us would believe, if I get my life together, who in the world would follow me anyway, right? I need proof. I need something to show them. It's interesting to think about that Moses... From this point on, whenever you see that staff, you know what it's called in the rest of the Exodus? The Lord's staff. It's not Moses' staff. It used to be just a regular staff. But when the Lord gets a hold of it, it becomes his. And it becomes powerful. And it is able to do things that it could not beforehand. And so here he is, overwhelmed. Can God use me? And so here was these evidences of proof that God was with him. You want to know what the best proof is? Some of y'all may go, like, am I supposed to walk around with a staff? Is this how this is supposed to roll? Like, is this what I'm supposed to do? The best evidence that God is with you is a transformed life. That's it. 
better than a hand that would do this, better than a staff that would do this. I mean, you start throwing sticks around and seeing snakes come out. You can do that. But the better, the better confirmation that God is with you for people to go, you used to be like this. What's changed inside of you? Right? Well, something's different about you. It's God's power that is shining through. And God provided Moses with the confirmation of that power that I'm talking about. God provided Moses with the confirmation of his power so that as he went forward, people would see him and know that he had been with the Lord. People would see what he could do and know that couldn't be Moses doing that. It had to be God working through Moses. One of the things that we looked at in the book of Exodus uh, a few weeks ago, but do you remember when they were thirsty and God tells Moses, go up and strike that rock with a stick, right? And hopefully what's going to come out of it? Water. Did that take faith for him to go hit that rock with a stick in front of everybody? The answer is, yeah. Now one thing we won't see, because this happens in numbers. Did y'all know there's a second time that something like that happened? Um, People are complaining yet again. They come to Moses yet again. Moses is worried about his safety yet again. And God says to Moses, I want you to go before that rock over there. He's like, yeah, another rock. Can there? Hydrate all the people. Okay, fine, whatever. Like, fine. You want me to go strike the rock? And God says, go in front of the people. Gather them all together and get in front of that rock. Yeah, I know. And then what to do? And then I want you to speak to the rock. Speak? You want me to speak to the rock? What do you want me to say? Aquafina, come forth, right? I'm like, what do you want me to say? Filter water, commence? Like, what do you want me to say? You go up to that rock and you speak to it and water's going to start rushing out of its side and it's going to take care of everybody in there. Now, I think that it would be obvious if Moses hit a rock with a stick and water came out that that's a hand of God, Right? But here's something you cannot deny. If you walk up to a rock and say, water come forth and that water comes out, nobody's giving the credit to Moses there. Fair? Maybe you get the credit when you got your muscles bulging and you crank into that rock and they think maybe he busted that thing open and water's coming. Maybe they give the credit to Moses. When you walk up to a rock and say, water come forth and water comes out, nobody's like, wow, Moses, that's pretty awesome. They're going to go, only God. Only God. So what does Moses do? You want me to speak to the rock? Yep. He picks up his staff and he strikes it. And guess what happens? Nothing comes out. It says he struck it twice. It's again. And water comes out. He's probably, whew. That could have been embarrassing. And God goes, come here. Come here. What? You know we're on the way to the promised land? Yeah, no, I'm leading there. You'll see it. You won't go in it. For what? For striking that rock? You told me to strike it last time. I told you to speak to it this time. Yeah, but why are you going to keep me out of the promised land? You're trying to steal my glory in front of these people. You're trying to act like you got the strength to do this and not from me. You'll see it with your eyes. You won't go over there. And we get all the way to Deuteronomy 34. Guess what? God held up his promise and he says, this ain't a line, Moses. You see it over there? Yep. That's it. And he passes away there. And God, actually read Deuteronomy 34, kind of mess you up a little bit. God's the one who buries Moses in a private burial service. Nobody else is there. Lays him down to rest. But he can't go in. Why? Because the power of God cannot be contained or responsible to one person. And God is saying, you want some confirmational power? Good. 
But it's not going to be seen as what you can do. It's going to be what I can do through you. And then if Moses had not thrown up enough excuses, he gives one more. Verse 10. Moses replied, now look at this. Look at the way this is spelled. Lord is used here twice, but do you see a difference? Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord. You notice the difference there? He responds to Yahweh and says, Adonai. What's that mean? He doesn't use the name that God has just given him and uses a generic term that could mean Lord, Master, or Sir, basically. So at this moment, Moses is not grasping who God is and his glory and might and splendor. And he goes, Master, please. I've never been eloquent, either in the past or recently or since you've been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. What is he saying there? This is inadequacy. He says, I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech. I don't have the skills to pull this thing off. And when I tell God, my mouth is messed up, right? God is going to reply as God should reply in verse 11. The Lord said to him, and who placed the mouth on you? Uh, <laughs> who makes a person mute or deaf, seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. It's just like Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. Uh, God looks at Jeremiah and says, I chose you before I formed you. And I formed you in the womb and I appointed you. You're going to be a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah goes, Lord, I am too young to do such a thing. And I am not skillful at speech. And he says, don't tell me you're too young. And don't tell me that your mouth is messed up. I made you. I made you. You have what you need to do what I'm calling you to do. I'm not calling the equipped. I am equipping the called. And here is Jeremiah. Here is Moses. Well, then what? I'm inadequate. I can't do what I need to do. Moses didn't think he had the needed skills for the job. And therefore, at this point, he is unwilling to go. I don't have the skills. But when you tell God, my mouth is messed up, God heard it clearly, you're telling me I did a bad job. One of the things that uh, at camp last week, the theme for the summer is in his image. And my goal as camp pastor was to tell these kids something that flies in the face of their culture today. Here was the message that I said probably 23 times at some point. God didn't make a mistake when he made you. There's nothing wrong with how God made you. There's nothing broken in of itself in how God created you to be. But you go, but I thought we are broken people. Yeah, that's what sin did to us, but God didn't mess up. We did. So for that young woman who thinks God messed up and I should have been a boy, no, he didn't mess up. No, he didn't. I gave the example. Uh, I read in a book something like this, that if years ago, if I were to come before you folks tonight and say, guys, I just want to let you know, I identify as a cat. Would you think that my body or my mind was messed up? What would you say? Mind. Nowadays, we would say, it's your body that needs to be messed, your body's messed up and we got to fix that, right? In the same way, when someone says, God, you made me the incorrect gender, right? What needs to be fixed? The body or the mind? It's the mind. 
God, I believe that I, I'm desirous of this type of relationship. What should be fixed? It's, it's the mind. It's, the, it's right here. And here's Moses in his mind saying, I don't have what's necessary. God, you made a mistake. You didn't make me to speak well. My speech, I'm kind of sluggish. I can't get this together. It's on you, God. And God says, who put that mouth on you, boy? Don't you think I did this? Don't you think that I've made you for this moment? I guarantee I can work through that mouth. We're going to find out that God actually works through a talking donkey one time. And if he can do that, he can work through any of us in this room. Amen? Okay? Like God can work through anybody. And this is what he's trying to remind Moses of. Uh, God reminded Moses that he had made him just right for what he had called him to do. See your quirks that God has put into you? We're not wrong. Um, you know, sometimes I have seen sometimes the situations where God has made people just a little bit different. And he's actually used that difference. Not a bad thing. God's made us, wired us differently than other people. And yet throughout all this, Moses and all of his excuses and all the weaknesses and the different things that he might go through would struggle with this. And yet God continues to say, I have made you just the way I want to. So let's just look at an adjustment real quick before we conclude tonight. Know this, that wherever you are in life right now and however God has maybe called or equipped you to do, you need to know this. A leader's most significant trait is being aware of God's presence. And the moment that you forget that, it's the moment when all things will start falling apart. Leader's most significant trait is being aware of God's presence. I had a mentor in college. Uh, he leads this unbelievable ministry organization. I had the opportunity to be in Colorado, being trained by him and his staff. And one day he asked me to go to breakfast with him, just me and him. And I'm like, man, I got a long list of questions I want to hear this brother Dwight talk about. I'm going to lay it out for him. And I was like, you know, I want to do this. I want to do this. And Dwight, what, what do you think is the most important thing for me to do? And he looks at me and says, Travis, the greatest gift you'll ever give this world is your intimacy with God. I said, that's great. What else do I need to do? He goes, you didn't hear me. I'm going to slow down again. Travis, the greatest gift you will ever give this world is your intimacy with God. Walk in his presence and everything is the overflow of that. You can begin to tell those who walk with God and those who do not, can't you? Sometimes it's obvious. And, and here's this, you want to be a leader, you want to help other people thrive and succeed in life? Walk with God. That's what you need to do. That will overcompensate for all of your failures and missteps and missed decades of life. That will overcompensate. But a failure to respect the power of God will always limit what you expect Him to do. Notice I did not say that you will limit God. I don't think you can limit God. God would do whatever He wants to do, with or without you, with or without me. But will that limit what we expect Him to do? Yeah, look at the way we pray. We pray small things. We expect small things. I want to pray bold prayers. I want to expect amazing things. You know why? Because if I truly know Him, I'm going to expect those types of things. I don't read the Bible and think, I need to pray small. Right? When I read the Bible, I'm going, I'm not praying big enough. I... I I, I go back to, some of y'all know that my daughter Gloria, at different times in this church's life, I'll say, Gloria, I gotta go. This is a really big goal. And she's like, that it? I'm like, that's a pretty big goal we've got here. She goes, we can do double that. And I want that childlike faith that says, God, I believe that you can do amazing things. No, you cannot fulfill God's will if you are obsessed with what others think about you. As Moses said, what are they going to believe? Are they going to follow me? Do I have to prove myself to them? And God's saying, I'll take care of that, Moses. 
You don't have to worry about that, Moses. I've got that covered. Can't fulfill God's will if you're obsessed with what others think about you. If you're always thinking that people think I don't have it together, maybe sometimes you think people think you have it too much together. If you think about what other people think, it's about what does God say about you? What does he think about you? That's what you need to focus on. Know this, that God would not call you to something he has not equipped or positioned you to do. God will call you to things that make you uncomfortable, but God will not set you up so that you can't succeed with his power. He will call you to something that he will equip you to do. He will call you to something. He will position you there. And even in your weakness, that God will show himself strong and you will be amazed at what God can do through you when you least even expect it. I have a scenario there at the bottom of your page there. We've been talking about this thing in our church for a little bit about leadership pipeline. And as I have referenced here in our uh, class over the last few weeks, sometimes we get to a place where we give people opportunities, but never give them training, never give them encouragement, never give them uh, resources on how to do things. And here's what I love about what Moses does. Moses says, I don't have anything I can do. He goes, what you got in your hand? I got a staff. Give me that. Let me show you what I can do with that. Remember that, uh, that hungry 5,000, hungry 4,000 that you studied about your gospel groups today, right? 4,000? Where are we going to find anything to eat? Jesus says, what do you have? <laughs> Seven loaves and a few fish. Give me that. Watch what I can do with it. Here's the problem. Some of us are telling God all the stuff we don't have rather than giving him what we do have. Right? God, I don't have this. All we got is seven loaves. All we got is a few fish. And God's like, and? Bring it to me. You know the first time I ever read Feeding of the 4,000, I thought there was a typo in my Bible. Because I always grew up thinking it wasn't feeding the 4,000, it was feeding the what? 5,000. Well, if you read in all those passages, guess what? That's a chapter earlier. And this is what's crazy. When 5,000 need to be fed... They had five loaves and two fish. 4,000 need to be fed. They had seven loaves and a few fish, which means more than two, right? So the second time, they had less people, more resources, and they're still looking at God and going, where are we going to find all this? And that's my life so many times. I get to a new situation. God, what are you going to do? He's like, look back what I did last time. Now you've actually got more resources. And I go, we don't have enough. He goes, what do you have? Brothers and sisters, tonight, instead of telling God what you don't have, what do you have? Lay that before Because a staff in God's hand turns into something that can work miracles. A lunch that may only feed you could actually be multiplied to feed everyone if that. And so, so with this idea, what do you have is to say, how can you take where you are and be trained to even go further? And to say, to trust in God and to, to dig in deep to realize that maybe there are things within you that you never even realized that you could do to serve. God's perfect strength is mightily displayed through our personal weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12.10 tells us this way, verse, well, verse 9. He says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in what? Weaknesses. Most gladly, therefore, Lord, I will boast about my weaknesses, my insults, my persecutions, my difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You want to be strong today? Admit you're weak. You want to be used mightily by God today? Don't act like you have it all together. And so to come, like, and here, here's, here's the balance, and then we're going to be done. Don't come like Moses, I can't be used because of all my weaknesses. Come saying, 
God, despite my weaknesses, show up. Use me mightily. As, as I mentioned camp this week, when it was the night to give the uh, gospel presentation and invitation, I remember going behind stage and just getting on my face before the Lord and saying, God, I don't know what's going on in this camp, but I am wore out. I don't have anything to tank. I feel like this sermon is not finished, and I need you to show up tonight. I need you to show up. I, I, don't, I don't have what it takes tonight. I am exhausted, Lord. You've got to show up. And I think those are the moments when God said, I'm so glad you got to this place. Let's watch what can happen. And in your life, instead of trying to prove you got it all together, don't, don't go that route. Don't go the route, though, I'm so weak and I'm so unable and God can never use me. Don't go that route either. Go to the place of, I don't have it all together, but Yahweh walks with me. What I am not, I am is, and he is here, and he can't use you even through your weaknesses. So, Father, tonight, no matter what you may call us to, when we go back to the place we lay our heads down tonight, and tomorrow morning when we wake up to whatever you may call us to do, there are plenty of things that we could obviously say that we are weak in. But through our weakness, you are made strong. And you don't change the world by people who work in their own strength. But those who admittingly have weakness are used mightily by your hands. And may that be the type of people we are. In the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Entrust Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast. We hope that you take what has been entrusted to you here and give it to another.